Welcome to Relevant Risk from the Friar Price Risk Management Center of Excellence, presenting conversations and analysis about risk and risk management for food and agriculture supply chain decision makers, from farmers to consumers and everyone in between. This is Relevant Risk. Hello, this is John Anderson, Director of the Friar Price Risk Management Center of Excellence at the University of Arkansas, here with another Relevant Risk podcast. Uh, joining me here today, Center Co-Director Andy McKenzie. Andy, how are you today? I'm doing good, John. Looking forward to hearing all about crop insurance. And our colleague, uh, Assistant Professor and Extension Economist, Hunter Byram. Hunter, how are you today? I'm excellent, John. How are you? I'm great. And, uh, you know, I think maybe... Uh, Regular listeners of the podcast, if we have any regular listeners, uh, might uh, pick up on the fact that with Hunter here, we're probably talking about crop insurance. And indeed, we are talking about crop insurance. Absolutely. It's my favorite. His favorite topic. Uh, everybody's favorite topic, right? Always. So yes. we're, we're talking here in early March and uh, uh, sales closing date has just passed for most Arkansas crops. That's and right. So for all Arkansas for crops. All Arkansas February crops. 28th is the sales closing date. So we've got complete information now on what people are dealing with in terms of the crop insurance landscape for the 2023 crop that uh, is, is just now at the very beginning phase of being planted. Uh, probably not yet being planted in most of the state. Maybe a little seed going in the ground in southeast Arkansas. So Let's talk a little bit about prices. So prices were established mid-January to mid-February on, on our crops. Uh, what are we looking at in terms of price guarantees this year compared to last year, let's say? Sure. Well, in rice specifically, um, I know that the uh, guaranteed price, the projected price is um, uh, $16.90 per hundred weight. Now, that's not going to be on a per bushel basis. If you want to convert that to a per bushel, you divide that by 2.22, which roughly comes out to about eight dollars and some and that's long grain that's gonna be long grain yeah so that's gonna be according to the rough rice futures contract for the for, for the november contract specifically um soybeans sitting about the same as they were last year they're about i think it was around I think it's 13 60 some odd last year it's sitting about the same price this year uh corn i believe is pretty close so corn and soybeans are going to be about the same cotton in particular is a lot lower than it was uh last year i think we had close to about 90 cent guarantee last year now we're looking at about 80 cent guarantee so much lower price guarantee for cotton but rice rice uh very notable in terms of get, getting that higher price this year so some improvement in price on rice, pretty much status quo compared to last year on corn and soybeans and some deterioration in the price guarantee on cotton. That's right. You have some information on high risk rates that you wanted to talk about. So sure. tell us a little bit about that, uh, about that issue and then what we see going on with rates. Sure. So actually, in the 2018 Farm Bill, uh, there was put in that legislation a review of the actuarial maps. And every five years, there's a national re-rating cycle. And so we're in 2023, and uh, with the national re-rating cycle, they're going to be looking more closely at the actuarial maps that RMA will be drawing up. And so in these actuarial maps, RMA is going to be highlighting certain pieces of land in sections of land that are considered high risk. And so by high risk, it's going to be essentially uh, there's a higher chance that a loss will occur uh, for a crop insurance. If you're if a farmer's enrolling crop insurance, there's more likely to be an indemnity. So, for example, this maybe would be, you know, some bottom ground is prone to flooding. 
That's right. A prime example would be in uh, Lawrence County, Arkansas. And in, in particular, there are two high-risk areas, one by the Black River, one by the Cache River. Okay. Very close to those as, as well. So it's not the whole county doesn't face this race. And not every farmer that has land in that county is going to face this particular high-risk rate. Only those farmers who have land in that uh, high-risk region. That designated near, area. That's right, in the designated area near those rivers in particular. And so we, you mentioned actuarial maps. So it's probably worth a little bit of review. When you talk about actuarial, you're talking about how the premiums collected on the product relate to the amount that's paid out on the product. That's right. And uh, importantly, in U.S. crop insurance, uh, all crop insurance products are rated to be actually fair. So that means that um, that the amount of premiums collected uh, by the crop, by crop insurance companies should be equal to the amount of indemnities that are being paid out. Now, that's before any kind of subsidy hits, which is where the government steps in and they offer a premium subsidy. So that means there's an actually fair rate. But when you throw in the subsidy, uh, actually, uh, theoretically, uh, producers are going to be paying less on the average in premiums relative to indemnities. So the actuarial fairness applies to the rate as it's calculated, just the raw rate calculation, and then the subsidy is applied to that actuarially fair rate. That's right. So the farmers pay less than an actuarially fair rate for the products they get. That's right. And importantly, in that rate, there are three key components. So one part of it's going to be called the reference rate. So the reference rate is going to take into account production losses at the county level. So they're going to aggregate all the losses at the county and create a county reference rate. Um, and then there's a second part that's called the fixed rate. So the fixed rate is going to have parts like a you know, we call it catastrophic load. So like those very, very, very high losses, they actually get aggregated up to a higher level than the county, but it's going to be a rate that'll be faced by, um, I think now they do that catastrophic rate by region. They, they don't do it by state. They used to do it at the state level. But anyway, there's going to be a smaller part of that rate that's, that's going to be fixed. And the third key part, which pertains to this discussion in particular, is going to be the sub-county rate. And so the, so there's like a county, so Lawrence County, for instance, and there's going to be a sub-county, sub-county AAA, sub-county B. And so that AAA, B, a lot of people think that that just means, you know, AAA, uh, you're less risky than B. Like as you go up the alphabet, D, E, it's more risky. That's not the case. The uh, AAA, Triple B and so on designation only per- pertains to the uh, to that risk to that watershed. For example, so Triple A would be associated more with the Black River. Triple B would be associated with the Cash River in Lawrence County, in particular. So they they will actually have different rates. The AAA will have its own rate. Triple B will have its own rate. You won't have, un- unless you just have really bad luck and you happen to have farmland in both of those areas. Uh, if you have farmland just inside the AAA area, you're going to get your reference rate, your fixed rate, and the AAA rate, the sub-county rate for that attached to it. And so that's why there are a lot of people that are, you know, I understand why they're upset. I mean, some of these rates, that, that sub-county rate I've seen could be double of what the whole so, rate could so be. So the key issue here is RMA has gone through this, this uh, this farm bill mandated process of reviewing rates by geographic area, and they've identified these sub county regions where the actuarial experience has not been good, That's where right. where the program has been paying out a lot more than it's been taking in. That's right. And so this sub county rate adjustment is meant to make up that difference. That's right. You know. 
there, these rates will be pretty high for the most part. Uh, but like you said, it's that it's that increased risk. I mean, you get these companies got to stay in business too. So to have that actually really fair product to help maintain that, uh, to help to help them essentially collect the actually fair premium, but you know at the subsidized rate, uh, that's really important here. And so what they do is they actually they're they're going to take into account uh, agronomic characteristics, so soil types. Uh, they're going to take into account types of watersheds or the different watersheds that are in the county. They're going to take into account satellite imagery. You know, I've spoken with folks at RMA and they do a really detailed process in trying to figure out what these regions look like. They do account for lost history, as you just said. Um, they look at the NRCS frequently and occasionally flooded soils. So whenever they go to look at the, what, what the data NRCS provides, they're going to take that into account as well. And they're going to uh, look at local information. So they may chat with farmers there. They may chat with local agents as well, just to try and get, I guess, the most reasonably uh, established boundaries on those designations. Okay. So do you have any sense uh how many of these areas are there in our state? That I don't know. I just know that some counties may not even have one, but some may have two or three. I, I have seen a triple A, triple B, triple C in some counties. Um, okay. But each each county will have its own set of designations. So a triple A in Lawrence that could be Black River, and you see a triple A in the uh, county next door, uh, that triple A will not also be the Black River. It could be the Cash River. It will just be that county's high-risk determined area. That's right. Okay. And these rates, you know, the challenging thing with stuff like this from a, from a farmer perspective, uh, it's not a real incremental change, Right. The way I understand this, this area is this, this. Say you're in an area that's determined to be high risk. This load gets applied to your rate, and it applies this year. It wasn't there last year. Now it's there this year. It's very noticeable. It's yeah. very noticeable. I've heard of some rates doubling, and 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 a few even tripling, just depending on where they're out. It, it could be very significant. And this is something this designation stays in place. This is not a one-year thing, correct? That's right. It stays in place, as far as I know, for another five years until they go back. Until they go through this exercise again five years from now. That's right. And I think, obviously, you're talking about something like the Cash River, the Black River. The assumption would kind of have to be that these these designations don't change very quickly, right? I mean, if it's high risk now, slow changing why will it process. not be high risk next time we go through this exercise? Mm, it could be different. I mean, I looked at the maps before they updated them, and some of them were very peculiar. Like, I'll just stick to Lawrence County. I thought it was very interesting. Some of the uh, high-risk land, uh, actually, it was in the western part of the county, not close to the Black or the Cache River. But there were some parts of near the Black and Cache River that did not have any kind of high-risk designation. So, I had some farmers come up to me and say, I didn't have any of my land in high risk last year. Now, almost all of it is in high risk. And so you're seeing a big shift, not only in that rate, but just in where those boundaries are for those right. designations, big changes. Right. A difficult management challenge for a farmer who now, you know, last year had no land in this, in this high risk designation and now has a significant chunk of their land in high risk designation. You know, the budget that you had last year for crop insurance is basically irrelevant now, correct? Yep. It, 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 it could be way different. I mean, if you had $15 per acre premium, let's say, uh, you could be looking at $30 per acre, just right. depending on. For the same coverage. For the same coverage, exact same coverage, yeah. yeah. Because you have to pay that high-risk rate for your buy-up, say 75% revenue protection. You still got to pay. If you're paying uh, the premium on the 75%, you got to pay the high risk if you are in the high-risk designated area. Right. So, And I know you've heard from, from, from stakeholders about this issue. You know, what, what kind of adjustments are farmers making? Are they buying down? Are they just 
gonna gonna swallow the extra coverage is depending on what kind of crop they're planting there and the value they perceive in that crop. Uh, there are a lot of factors to work through when you see this kind of rate change. So tell us a little bit about how farmers are kind of stepping through that decision. Well, I'm going to give you the uh, the greatest economist answer of all time. It depends. <laughs> it really does. It depends. I'll the first thing I'll talk about is um, you may have heard about the emergency relief program ERP payments right. uh, as a result of coronavirus uh, and what was happening with pandemic assistance. Um, part of that ERP payment. You had to, as a farmer, agree that you would enroll in at least 65% buy-up for the next two years. And so this was done before the high-risk changes were done. And so you're seeing a lot of farmers, in a way, their hands are kind of tied. and They have very, to buy at 65% they, coverage. At least 65%. Because they took the ERP because payment. Because they took the ERP payment. Now, these were independent events. These were totally independent events, but they were very poorly timed and very poorly communicated. So that's the um, that's the first rub is that they got to get at least sixty five if they took ERP, um, but there are there are a couple options and they, and I think the number one thing that people have done is they have reached out to RMA and they have offered up a written agreement. So in that written agreement, what can be done is as long as you can prove with documentation. I mean, you could be taking pictures of. Uh, uh, improvements to your land that would help prevent that risk of a flood happening. If you can show that the loss history is just not there, um, if you can show where your land is in relation to the river, any anything that you can do to prove that this is really not high risk land, um, RMA most likely will honor that. And you know, one one thing that's really important right now is if you as a producer, if you don't know that you're in the high risk, or maybe you know this this is news to you, and we are past sales closing, you're not totally up the creek. You have until, um, I think it's called the acreage reporting date until about, I think it's July or June 15th. So you have until the summer to get the written agreement filed. However, uh, from who I talk with in the industry, uh, the agents, the crop insurance agents that I speak with, they tell me, get it done sooner, as soon as you can, because the closer you get to that deadline, the uh, less likely uh, it is you're going to get that written agreement looked at. Because RMA, they're going to be, uh, you know what, we don't have time, we don't, we, we don't have time to look at this now. And so there's a very small chance that you'll get it honored. So the sooner you can get that written agreement put in, the better. Um, I've heard that uh, some, some farmers will do most of the work. I've heard a lot of crop insurance agents will do a lot of the work on that end as well. Um, so if you're a producer listening, you know, reach out to your agent and see, and see what they can do for so you to help you. So put your case together yeah. as quickly as possible and get that in front of RMA. That's right. And I think a third alternative that not many people have talked about is there's actually a, excuse me, a high risk coverage endorsement that you can look into that I believe is separate than the written agreement. So you got the ERP problem, you got written agreement, and then you have the high risk endorsement, I think are the three, three types of responses to consider. Okay. So even within this structure, at least some possibility for some flexibility uh, in terms of hands aren't to totally tied. Rates. They're not totally tied. There are things that you can do. But make your case right now. That's don't, right. Don't wait Absolutely until Absolutely right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really good advice. So, you know, those old, those yield histories, uh, any, any documentation of of structures or practices to mitigate the effects, all those things are fair game. It Absolutely. Like. Pictures. I mean, whatever you can do, put put together the best case possible and try and convince convince RMA that um, that your land is not high risk. Good advice, particularly for people who are uh, kind of tied down by their ERP participation, it sounds like. 
Okay. So any anything else in the crop insurance world we need to be aware of as we start into the early season here? Yeah, that's probably the top issue uh, in crop insurance. I know, I know in Arkansas, I know this is going to be nationwide, but I know in Arkansas, as I've been out and about at producer meetings, uh, a lot of very upset people that just don't know what's going on. There has been a lot of communication. Um, right. So understanding why this is happening is very important. And then just knowing that you're not totally out of the loop. I mean, you can totally reach out to your crop insurance agent uh, to try and try and mitigate what that increased cost looks like, even if you are held up by the ERP requirement. Good advice. Andy, any comments, questions? I, I've just got some basic questions here just on crop insurance. And I'm thinking, again, I know you're going to say it depends potentially, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, you know. I'll be disappointed if he, <laughs> if he doesn't. I mean, I've heard that maybe our farmers in Arkansas participate less in crop insurance than other parts of the country. Um, is that true? And then is there a variation in participation across our different commodities, our different row crops? Mm, those are great questions. So when we think about participation, there's two ways to think about it. You can think about it in terms of total acreage, or you can talk about the buy-up. So really, I think most all of our acres are insured at this point. It's just the uh, buy-up. So when we're talking about buy I'm talking about 50%, 55%, 60, 65, 70, 75, 80, 85, those eight coverage levels, um, and not buy a, and, and not 50% CAT. There is a 50% catastrophic coverage. It's different than 50% buy-up. So it's got to be 50% buy-up. 50% buy-up would, would allow you to access preventive planning coverage, for instance, even though you've only got that 50% coverage level for a total right. loss. And you get the total, the you get 100% of the projected price guarantee. I believe that's a smaller percentage with the cat. So, um, so our buy-up um, is sitting around, most people are all in between 65 and 75% coverage. Um, the most popular coverage level across the U.S. is about 75% across the whole U.S. Um, there are some patterns uh, where I see uh, up in the Midwest and the upper Midwest in particular, you see more 80-85% being the most popular, largely driven by uh, lower premium rates. I think it's largely driven by that. Um, and here, uh, like I said, more than 65-70%, but in, in my research, I've shown that 80% is actually optimal in the South, in, in spite of the uh, relatively higher premium premiums, 80% is still uh, a better option for, for Arkansas producers. Uh, my crop, is it any different? Um, that's a tough question. I would say, I think the last data that I saw would say that soybeans tend to have higher coverage levels in terms of participation. They participate in higher coverage levels, producers do. And uh, corn, not as high because corn rates are a lot higher. It's a lot more risky to grow corn than it is soybeans. It's got to make a good stand. It's got to withstand wind if there's any kind of wind risk. Um, rice? Rice coverage levels, uh, they they tend to be probably in between uh, corn and soybeans. Uh, but for the most part, the soybean rate, the, the premium rates for soybeans are so low uh, relative to the other crops that you see a lot more buy-up happening in soybeans. That makes sense. So, you know, if you were just talking, let's say the average farmer who's got some sort of mixture of beans and rice and corn, would you recommend getting into crop insurance at, say, a 75% level? Absolutely. And, I, and I've had farmers come up to me and just ask, like, hey, do I need to split up how I'm 
covering my crops. And I've been saying, for the most part, 80% on soybeans with enterprise units on revenue protection, and then 75% on corn, actually just because of those higher rates. Um, like I said, and what I've looked at, 75% is going to be the best probably for corn for the most part, especially if you have non-irrigated land, but even with irrigated land. 75% for corn, 80% for soybeans, and I've looked at 80% for rice as well. So it really should be an important part of a farmer's risk management toolkit then. Absolutely, you know, and 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 uh, and Andy, I know you and I have been looking at uh, with your grad students some really cool stuff with how we can incorporate crop insurance into our whole risk management toolkit. It's not just one tool; it's one of many tools. Uh, but we've looked at using it in your forward pricing strategies because it helps you to be more aggressive uh, with those revenue guarantees. You have more confidence in pricing more bushels. Um, so that's something that, um, like I said, crop insurance is only one tool. It is a very important tool. I think producers should be using it as a form of risk management. Um, and it can be used with your marketing strategies. It can be used with your ARC and your PLC. Um, in fact, I strongly encourage using it with your ARC and PLC. And, you know, an important point to bear in mind when we talk about this is that it is a subsidized product. So, uh, again, we quibble with the rates all the time. That's part of what we get paid to do is quibble with the <laughs> yep. rates. Uh, but if they are even close to actuarially fair, and then the subsidy is applied on top of that. It is a good buy. And, and Andy, to relate it to kind of your world, if you think of a, if you think of a uh, somebody purchasing a put option, a harvest time put option, and that option is efficiently priced according to a Black Shoals model or whatever model you want to use, and somebody steps in and says, "Hey, I'll cover a third of that premium for you," you would think that's a fantastic deal. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. That's kind of what we deal with in insurance. And again, maybe we have less confidence in the actuarial fairness of those rates than we do in the efficiency of option prices, but it's the same idea. You, you've, got an, you've got an instrument that's, that's priced awfully close to where the market should be, and then somebody picks up about a third of that, of that premium for you. That's an instrument that you probably want to use in your risk management strategy. Is that a fair way to put that, Hunter? That's great, John. That's great. I, I totally agree. Uh, put option is always, I think, the in terms of price protection, price guarantee, that seems to be the parallel, um, yeah. the best parallel to make with crop insurance. The other thing I like to point out to people, and, and when we talk about risk management generally, and I think we probably don't bring this into the crop insurance conversation enough, is that people really need to make an, a very intentional assessment of their ability to withstand risk. Because I, I think with crop insurance, we do tend to focus a lot on premium. And A, is the premium right? Is the premium too high? Is the premium too low? Really, a lot of producers, I think, would be better served to think more about how much risk can they stand. Uh, because if you really can't stand a 65% loss, and you can avoid that with crop insurance, even if that premium's fairly high, that might be a really good deal for you. That might be... Uh, that might be the decision that keeps you in business as opposed to you going out of business. And so you let's let's quibble over whether this premium is five percent too high or too low. We really ought to be thinking about what level of loss can I survive and how do I avoid that kind of loss? Absolutely. I think it's important to understand that insurance is a risk transfer. It does not make you whole. I mean, we have 85% coverage. It's as high as you can go. That leaves you 15% deductible. 
because if it was 100%, I mean, what kind of incentive is there to produce? I mean, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a payment. I mean, what? Why would I produce? So, uh, it's a risk transfer, and basically the concept is, is when you when we buy insurance, I mean, it could be auto insurance, home insurance. We're willing to take small losses every month in the form of premium in order to avoid that really catastrophic loss, that big loss that like when a tornado blows our house down, you know, heaven forbid that that happens. But we've taken these small losses so that when that really big one hits and we need to have a place to stay and get another house, we're going to have some money sitting there waiting for us. So, you know, I don't think uh, most farmers uh, would want to see their crop fail. I don't think that they would want that to happen. Uh, it's just like we don't want our house to get blown away. I don't think that we want that. So insurance, again, risk transfer, willing to take those small losses in the form of premiums and subsidized premiums, highly subsidized premiums at that, um, in order to avoid those losses. And it could be shallow losses, too. I mean, the big loss is the cat loss. That's a complete loss. But at 75%, when you have more than 26% of loss or 25% loss, it could be 26%, you know, you're starting to get some coverage there. So, I mean, we're talking about coverage at deep levels and at shallow levels too. Right. No, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, to, to the premium point, I like your, your, your comment there about this being a, uh, you know, a, a risk transfer. And we take that, that periodic small loss in terms of premium to avoid the big loss, uh, that being said, we always want that small loss to be as low as it can possibly that's, be, that's right? Very there's true. No, there's, absolutely. Look at and there's absolutely, I have absolutely no problem with somebody complaining about insurance premiums being high. Great, absolutely. let's look at it. I complain about that all the time. Exactly. With my so, health insurance. <laughs> again, we, we get paid to quibble about these rates, sure. right? And we will certainly do that. Let's, 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 yeah. let's ruthlessly evaluate these things and find the lowest rate we possibly can. But, Acknowledging that something has to be paid, yep. there does have to be uh, there. Ha- there does have to be some transfer there. Uh, that's a really good point to keep in mind. Anything else, Andy? I th- I think Honda's pretty much answered all my questions there. Yeah. All right. Uh, good information and some good advice uh, in these high risk areas. Uh, be aware, farmers, how you're affected by that, and. Uh, get your plan together now to try to to mitigate that or offset that if you can at all uh now's the time to be acting that's right the sooner the better get those get that paperwork together reach out to your crime insurance agent they're going to know what to do i know several probably almost every crime insurance agent at least in arkansas probably across the whole country but in arkansas i know that they've been looking at this so uh put that crop insurance agent to work that that's absolutely right that's absolutely right but Hunter, good information, good advice as always. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. All right. This is the Relevant Risk Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Relevant Risk Podcast, a production of the Fryer Price Risk Management Center of Excellence in the Department of Agricultural Economics and Agribusiness within the University of Arkansas system. The Fryer Price Risk Management Center of Excellence carries out teaching activities through the Dale Bumpers College of Agricultural Food and Life Sciences at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville and research and extension activities through the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Visit friar-risk-center.uada.edu for more information. Thanks for listening.